0: An old uh, Eastern proverb famously says, and I'm sure many of you are familiar with this, uh, a journey of a thousand miles begins with uh, a single step. And that's, of course, true. It's also true that a journey of a thousand miles requires some things, uh, including endurance and patience. And we have been examining, uh, meditating upon the book of James, this letter, and James is coming to a close And he comes to a close with an exhortation uh, to patient endurance. Now, we might conclude here that there's a couple different kinds of patience, if you will, or different kinds of waiting. Uh, There's the waiting in life that is pain-filled. The acute suffering as one waits for their loved one, their parent, or their grandparent, or other, in their last days, last weeks of life before they pass from this this earth. Uh, The painful waiting as one goes through and suffers through the the rehabilitation required from perhaps a a serious injury. Pain-filled waiting. But then there's the kind of waiting that we would associate with with sheer joy. Anticipating something wonderful uh, to come. We might hear the, the young child say, I can't wait for next week, my birthday. I cannot wait next month when Christmas comes. I can't wait. What they mean is I absolutely can wait and I absolutely will wait because it's going to be this glorious event. Well, James wants us to embrace both kinds of waiting, both kinds of of patience, if you will. That endurance that is shaped by patience, long-suffering, this willingness to kind of bear up amidst various trials, but also that patience that is marked by joyful anticipation, hope, confident expectation of of what is is coming, this glorious future uh, in Jesus Christ. So the text is James 5, it's 7 through 12. Let's give our focus and attention to God's word here. So James continues, he says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains? You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. And you've heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, don't swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no so that you may not fall under condemnation. James is coming to a a close uh, of his letter in a very similar fashion and way that he opened his letter. So the kind of bookends of this letter exhort the hearers to the same thing. Patience, endurance, long-suffering. If you recall, right after the greeting, he began this letter with those words, Count it joy when you face trials of many kinds. For the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. There's the word steadfastness, or some translations, endurance. And as endurance has its effect, it produces maturity. And so the Lord providentially brings about and permits various trials in the Christian's life for the purpose of bringing about a steadfastness. And as we walk down the path of endurance, something happens to the Christian, and that is maturity and growth, right? Sanctification. That word, steadfast, or endurance, is one of two very important words that James focuses in on in our text. Verse 11, Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast, who endured. The other important word is patience. Verse 7, be patient, brothers. It's two different words. They're very closely related, it seems to me, but they are distinct. To be steadfast or to endure means to hold to a steady course. It's a staying power without succumbing under suffering. We might put it this way. It's not losing yourself or your faith when so many things around you are being lost, undone around you. Patience is long suffering. It's putting up with something. Often, in biblical contexts, it's putting up with wrongdoing. Wrongdoing to others that we see taking place around us or wrongdoing to us. It's restraint that doesn't retaliate against a wrong. Uh, throughout the scriptures, we hear those repeated words attributed to our Lord. We heard it in the assurance of pardon from Psalm 103, a very well-known uh, text. This is This is the character of our God. The Lord is gracious, and he is patient, he is compassionate, slow to anger, often translated. Gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, which means he will delay his wrath to afford people time to turn and repent, and he'll delay so long as people will turn and repent. When God is delaying, it can appear as if God is unjust. Why is this happening? Why why isn't there judgment taking place? 2 Peter 3 tells us that the very time we live in, marked by these last days, the time between Christ's coming and his return again, we're, we're told God is patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but to turn and come to repentance. That James begins and ends his letter here with an emphasis on endurance and patience, I think is part of James's way of describing the Christian life as indeed a journey. And the journey requires these things, staying power and endurance and long-suffering. The, the element of journey is reinforced with the words about the coming of the Lord. There's something coming. We're journeying to an end. He says, be patient until the coming of the Lord in verse 7. And then in verse 8, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. And and the New Testament writers seem to often write in a way that every generation needs to be vigilant and prepared for the coming of the Lord. It's at hand. Waiting and patience can be so very difficult for us in, in life and in faith perhaps in part because we can tend to value the completion of something more than the process. We want a job finished. We want the destination reached more than the work to that end or the route to that destination. I know as a young person, my parents with my two brothers and I often, numerous times, took driving trips from Seattle, where we lived all the way to Indiana, where my parents were from. And I'm sure, I'm very confident, my parents heard many times uh, those words. Are we there yet? How much more time? Are we getting close? Are we there? We want the destination, uh, not as much, perhaps, the journey. Waiting can be hard. Blaise Pascal said, Most of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. Patience, stillness. Uh, Recent studies, at least done in in 2014, they were peer-reviewed at the University of Virginia and Harvard, revealed just how much people kind of detest sitting in a room alone, just for six minutes up to 15 minutes, just with their thoughts, nothing more. Not only did it become clear they much more preferred to be on their smartphone, or engaged in some activity, but some were even willing to give themselves mild electric shocks over that of just thinking. Some skewed minds might be revealing about our own minds. Another great challenge to to our patience and endurance is that those are the things, it seems to me, often required when our plans fail, when our plans in life are disrupted. Very simple things, the delayed plane. Uh, the traffic that we're in, the long checkout line, or much more serious, a concerning illness, hostile work environment, serious conflict in relationships, marriage, family, in the body of Christ. Life gets disrupted in small ways all the time, in huge ways sometimes. And I think this is one of the most amazing aspects of the ministry and character of our Lord Jesus Christ. As we read about his ministry and life through the Gospels, he maintained this resolved devotion to carry out his calling, to preach the Gospel, to obey the commands, to pursue and endure the cross. And yet, with this razor-sharp focus, he did it amidst constant, what we might call disruptions. Enduring and suffering long with other people. People demanding his time and his energy all the time, enemies seeking to test and kind of corner him and oppose him, his own disciples often struggling to understand him or or, or expressing doubt of sorts. So that Jesus would even say of his disciples in Matthew 17, after they failed to heal this boy in need because of a lack of faith, uh, Jesus points out, he says, oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? If Jesus, the sinless Son of God, did not take a pass on endurance and long-suffering, but was defined by that path, how much should it define us in our life of faith? There's no pass on the necessity, on the calling of steadfastness and patience in our Christian life. Uh, Having recently been traveling by air, the image of a plane... That uh, comes to my mind, because as you board and you begin to kind of walk past those first rows, we call that first class. You, usually, probably most of us are walking past those, but you, you kind of take a look. Like in the recent uh, plane that we were on was a larger plane, a seven, 7,,77. And uh, boy, those first-class seats, they seem to be getting nicer and nicer, at least by appearance, but coach is just kind of remaining the same. Everyone has their own little uh, nook, kind of lazy boy chair, almost looks like a bed. Uh, You got the steward, stewardesses uh, coming up and down, uh, serving them kind of a a warm towelette to wash their face and their hands. Uh, Orange juice and champagne, it appeared to me, uh, just to make the flight a little easier, I suppose. And of course, I know I'm going back to coach where I'm going to be given an artificial cookie and instant coffee, probably. Uh, Which which is fine, I'm not complaining. Uh, But that's coach seating. And uh, there's no first class seating in the Christian journey. There is no first class in the Christian journey. It's all coach. And it's also an important picture, kind of huddled up all together, because um, James is making a communal social point here about the church. If you uh, perhaps caught that. He called for endurance amidst trials at the beginning of the letter, but in a way it was more individual. Here, it's endurance in a way that we would not, what does he say, do not grumble against one another. The the communal, community aspect. It's patience and endurance as a, a group, a community. He's emphasizing that social aspect not only refraining from grumbling, which we know during the wilderness wandering was a major issue for the people of God, but he also emphasizes not making hasty vows there in verse 12, if you're wondering how that fits in. Not making hasty vows and promises, swearing or promising, but not being true to our words. He's picking up again on the social component and sins of the tongue which he has emphasized uh, several times in his letter, the, the impact that we can have upon uh, one another, whether grumbling or not being true to our word. And so he's, he's pointing out the, the significance of the kind of community that we are as we endure, and as we're patient, um, in, enduring the things that the Lord brings before us. The church is indeed a unique uh, community So James then provides examples of what patience looks like. What does this endurance look like? He gives a few examples. The first is that of the farmer. He says, be patient until Christ's coming. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. And maybe we could imagine that while James being the brother of our Lord, raised and reared in the same uh, home as his brother, Jesus, that while our Lord went with perhaps Joseph in the realm of carpentry, maybe stonework, maybe other siblings into that of fishing, maybe James was more invested in working the land. He he certainly emphasizes that sort of uh, agricultural uh, picture throughout his whole letter. In chapter 1, he reminds the brothers of the brevity of life, He says, the sun rises with its scorching heat and it withers the grass. Later in chapter 1, put away all wickedness, receive the implanted word, the implanted seed of God able to save your soul. And then chapter 3, he speaks of that harvest of righteousness, the fruit that comes from sowing peace among one another. What's important and helpful about the picture of the farmer who waits is, one, It's not waiting for waiting's sake. It's waiting for the precious fruit of the earth. He's waiting because there's something of great and precious value that is coming. The believer waits. The believer endures because there are great things to come. The believer waits, maybe for their own child who is wayward in the faith. They wait. They wait for the hard trial to pass. They're patient. They wait for the tears and mourning to turn into joy. They wait for the bearing of fruit in the service and work and ministry of the church. Ultimately, they wait for the coming of their Savior. The waiting is not in vain. It's in hope confident anticipation of the fulfillment of God's promises and word. I I love the words and they have been so encouraging to me uh, over the years in Galatians chapter six, where Paul says, let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. And so as we have opportunity, he says, let's do good to everyone, especially those who belong to the household of faith. It's also a helpful picture here, the farmer, because the farmer is not sort of passively standing by. He's not twiddling his thumbs. He's not distracting himself in the meantime with other things. He says, See how the farmer waits, being patient about it. And then he says, You too, be patient, establish your hearts. Look how the farmer waits. You too be patient. Establish your hearts. I wonder if James had in mind the parable that Jesus uh, spoke and taught in Mark 4, the parable of the growing seed, where the kingdom is compared to a man who scatters seed, and then we're told he sleeps and he rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. He, He doesn't do the work of planting and then just, forget about it. He's waiting, he's watching, he's vigilant. In fact, when James says, you to be patient, and that word establish, establish your hearts, that word fix or set or establish is the same verb, it's the same action applied to Jesus at that turning point in Luke's gospel, in Luke 9, when Jesus then turned, he set his face resolutely to go to Jerusalem, right, to endure and to pursue the cross, Establish your hearts. Fix your hearts upon the Lord. That's an active kind of uh, waiting. We think of Psalm 27, 14. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your hearts take courage. Wait for the Lord. That waiting upon the Lord is looking to him in trust and dependence. We might think of going to the airport, waiting for someone that we know is arriving we're looking for them with expectation and anticipation, where our eyes will meet theirs. We can embrace them. Or the notion of a waiter. Right? They wait upon others. They give attention to them. They serve them. Notice the waiting is for a while. It's until the coming of the Lord. In other words, the entirety of our lives have in part to do with Waiting. But what higher calling is there than to wait upon the Lord to be called to give our lives and our attention to that of the Lord, that he would call us to do that, to serve him, to wait upon him. And amazingly, it's not just the church who is waiting. The whole of creation is waiting. The trees, the rivers the mountains. In one of the most powerful chapters, I think, in all of Scripture, describing the creation, describing us as groaning, waiting for the fullness of salvation, right the redemption of our bodies, the redemption of all things. Romans 8, we heard a portion of it earlier. We're told this, all of creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. All of creation is giving its attention, it's personified there to emphasize the wonder and the awe of that glorious future, which is ours. The creation waits. It's waiting for the revealing of us, the sons of God, the redemption, uh, our full redemption. And I would make a practical point here for, for everyone, but particularly for younger people who might think about their lives and think that they have Many years, and indeed potentially do have many years and many seasons uh, to come. And that is that the purpose of your life, the purpose of our lives, are not to be found in any particular season of life. There there can be an inclination or temptation to do that. Ah, this is the season where I find and discover the purpose of of, of my life. Or when I get to that next season, that's when there's going to be real purpose and fulfillment. Our purpose in life is not found in any particular season, any season of life, but in the author of life. Uh, And that's very much the message of the book of Ecclesiastes, so that whatever season we're in, as we're marching through this journey, we're finding our calling and our purpose by investing in this relationship in life with God through uh, Jesus Christ. One more point about the farmer. He sows the seed... Just prior to the rains, and then, like the parable from Mark 4, he sleeps. He rises night and day. And yet, while he sleeps, what's the emphasis there? He rises, he goes on about his work, but there's something happening beyond his labor. There's a greater work taking place by greater hands. This is the work of the Lord, this is the invisible work that the Lord does the growth of the seed, or the flowering of your faith, the fruit of your ministry comes in time, and it comes by the work in the hand of God. There's simply growth we do not see. So much growth that we do not see. So much work that the Lord is carrying out that we simply don't observe or see. And Jesus reminded us that He is working in His Father is working. We don't make the seed grow. We plant, we water, but as Paul says, God gives the growth. And so we're called to simply be faithful, faithful with what God gives, but God gives the growth. There is a labor, though, that we do, a labor of love to be done. There in verse 10, notice another example. He says, As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. The example of the prophets waiting for God's people to return or to repent, to turn from their sin. Maybe waiting for God's judgment upon their enemies, vindication at the hands of their enemies. While they're patiently enduring, what are they doing? But they're bearing witness. They're bearing witness. They're going to be faithful in their lives, representing the things of God. And then you have finally the example of Job in verse 11. We consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job. You've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Why does James provide the example uh, of Job here, an example of endurance and patience? Well, at first, we might think it's because Job faithfully endured amidst suffering. I mean, Job lost so much. His home and his possessions, his oxen, his sheep, servants burned, killed, his health failing, suffering personally, his children killed. And there in his mourning and in his pain, we know his friends come to try and comfort and counsel him, but his friends can't reconcile this great, gracious God with Job's suffering. Job must be in the wrong, but he isn't. Job knows that both abundance and poverty, life and death, health and sickness, all of these things ultimately come from the hand of the Lord. Job knows this, he knows his God. But as you march through Job's journey, while he knows the Lord, it is as he endures and suffers long that a greater gift awaits. And it comes in the last chapter, chapter 42. It's not merely the abundant material blessings. Everything is doubled. Uh, Job receives all of this material wealth. It's not merely the abundant material blessings that are lavished upon him. The greater gift is verse 5 of chapter 42, where he says, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. In other words, Job knew his God, he knew his Lord, but now he has reached a deeper place, a greater depth of trust and of rest and of knowledge of his God and his Savior. Yes, Job's story is about faithful endurance, but maybe more it's about divine purpose. And that's where James is putting his finger in our text. He says, you have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and then here's an important line, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. It's not just an example of endurance. It's endurance and at the same time seeing the hand of God at work. James's point is not just the steadfastness of Job, but of God's purpose of revealing more and more of himself to him. His purposes, his sanctifying grace, his comforting presence. When we are in the midst of enduring, it can be hard to see God's purposes. That's what James is focusing in on here. But his purpose is fueled by his gracious and merciful and compassionate hand. The world looks at the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the world sees shame, the world sees defeat, the world sees foolishness taking place, but when the Christian looks at the cross and he sees in this patient, enduring, long-suffering Savior, what he sees is the grace, the divine purpose, and the compassion of God upon them. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for The abundance of your grace, the sufficiency of your grace to move us, Lord, down the wonderful path, sometimes hard path of endurance and patience, of suffering long. Yet we thank you, Lord, most of all, that this is the path of our Savior, our blessed Savior, the one who was crucified, who endured amidst enemies and sinful men. Might we consider Him that we would not grow weary or lose heart, but that we would establish our hearts, that the eyes of our hearts would be fixed upon Him. And Lord, as You work in us, may You show us more of Your compassion, more of Your grace, more of Your purposes. Pull us, Lord, deeper, uh, deeper and deeper into Your presence where we can abide and find that wonderful rest in You. Be merciful to us, Lord, that our lives would be in you and about your purposes. And bind us, Lord, together, that we would be a people who who heed your word. We're we're seeing growth, Lord, not complaining or or grumbling against one another, but Lord, that the words out of our mouths are ones of life and encouragement as we help and encourage one another along this path, uh, this journey of steadfastness. Lord, in all these things, we continue to praise you, uh, that you would be glorified, that we would be satisfied. We pray all this with thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.